0: Uh, I like the fact that every time I start a call, I have to click the button to say that I want to see the chat, even though every single time I start a call, I do it. Yeah, (laughs) of all the the work they've put into Skype, they've never decided to make that persistent. Yeah, God forbid an application. Remember anything that you do to it. It, It's born anew every (laughs) launch. Happy birthday.
1: Uh, We have important things to talk about, so we should dive right in. How's the Tesla?
2: Not that different from my opinion of it last week. It's amazing; like it's, it's just amazing. I, I really am appreciating it more and more every day. Which, and I already appreciate it quite a bit, so that's saying a lot. I'm very happy with the decision I made to go with it. I'm also very happy with the one I chose to get, not getting the faster one with less range for a lot more money. I, I'm just very
1: happy with it. Now, tell me about you tweeted earlier today as we record that you put like this little teeny tiny USB stick. What is this all about? Is this to put like uh, three fish songs? Because it's like a 30 gig stick right so that's like three or four fish songs
2: it's 128 gig sticks so it's six fish songs ah fair enough i don't actually need 128 gigs of storage in my car but it was like 10 bucks more than the, than the one i needed so it's like okay just in case um i'm sure i will have some reason to use 128 gig usb stick it was like 40 bucks is that all they are good grief yeah exactly so this is this is the first USB stick I've ever purchased. really? I've never really used them. and I, I've accumulated enough like little ones from freebies from things here and there over the last decade uh, that if I ever needed one for like the the one time every two years I might actually need one. I would just use one of those. But none of them were big enough and and if you wait until 2016 to buy a USB stick, USB sticks are really good and are almost free. (laughs) So I want something very, very small because this is in the it's in the center console of the car. It's like in the passenger compartment, so it's visible and it protrudes from from a a little port. So I want it to be as small as possible. You know, there was basically like this one and a Sandisk one, and the reviews of the Sandisk one all all said that it overheated constantly and was and like ran weirdly hot all the time. And and the Samsung one, everyone said, nope, works great, doesn't overheat like that weird Sandisk one. So I went with that. And the only, the only downside of it, it, you know, it's incredibly fast. It's USB 3.0 and it has really high quality flash in there because Samsung is really good at flash. I also have a Samsung uh, external flash drive just in a, in a 2.5 inch enclosure for my computer because uh, they make 2 gig SSD, or sorry, 2 terabyte SSDs now for like 600 bucks. And granted, $600 is a lot of money and 2 terabytes is not an earth shattering amount of space in 2016. However, a 2 terabyte SSD. That exists at all, let alone is an affordable price, is quite something. Yeah. Uh, so I'm very happy with that because it is totally silent and very, very fast. And so I store all my, all my media on there. Anyway, um, so this little Samsung stick, the only flaw in it is that it has this giant Samsung logo written on the part of it that sticks out. So I just sanded it off with some, you know, light sandpaper in about five minutes that I found <laughs> in my garage, and uh, yeah, it's great. Course. So now it's a nice blank USB drive that is perfect. Turns out USB sticks are kind of useful sometimes. So anyway, the reason it's there in my car is uh, because the the car has the ability to, like many modern car stereos, to browse folders of MP3 files that you put on USB storage medium media, and I don't think i have to double check but i'm i was pretty sure that it didn't have the ability to use like the the ipod music browsing interface from the iphone when that was plugged in um so which is fine because i actually prefer like having folders that i can organize things in because i don't take my entire collection in the car um because most of my collection doesn't matter in the car uh so it's nice to kind of be able to organize it into folders and have actual like subfolders. like so i have a folder for Fish 2015, and then in that is like each 2015 tour, and I could organize it how I want, which is kind of different from what you get in like a typical iPod thing. And it plays the songs in order, which thank God it's amazing. (laughs) I don't know who who designed whatever system many other uh, car manufacturers and head unit manufacturers use, where whatever you insert it plays the songs like alphabetically by song title. Whoever wants to hear things alphabetically by song title. There are two orders that you're allowed to play things in. Either the order that they are
1: on the album, or shuffle. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody ever wants any other order. Yeah, see, I I have... I don't remember how much music I have in my car. I only have about 12 gigs that's available to me, I believe. Um, But I almost exclusively listen to stuff on my car. And even though the Bluetooth stack is pretty good on my car, I find it just easier to navigate via iDrive. And so with that in mind, why do you not use Bluetooth on the Tesla? I would think, not having played with it, that that being able to manipulate things on the Tesla would be a lot easier because you have that whole big display there. But I guess if all you really have available to you via Bluetooth is like skip forward, skip back, play, pause, maybe it's not really any different than any other car.
2: You're right that having the big display there actually does make it much more useful when you're doing things like navigating a USB stick full of folders and stuff. So that is awesome on there. You are also right that Bluetooth is very limited in its interaction. And making this problem worse... Tesla's Bluetooth implementation isn't particularly great. It's, it's an okay one, but mm. uh, there's a couple of shortcomings. The biggest one to me is that it doesn't display the time elapsed or remaining, um, which is really annoying for podcasts. Um, more, more humorously, there is some method to transfer album art, and many Bluetooth stereos will show album art as transferred from the end, but I think that's actually an Apple extension to the standard or something. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, Tesla doesn't support the album art extension or whatever displays album art over Bluetooth. So instead, they show you the album art from some kind of central album art database of a fuzzy match of whatever title is being <laughs> supplied by the device. So it tries to be smart, but then you end up with completely nonsensical, random often like slightly risque album art when you're listening to like back to work it's like it's <laughs> it makes no sense like I, I, the, the other day it was like back to work and it's showing like some like girl in a bikini on like some album i was like you gotta be kidding me uh, like and that, that, then i'm driving around like i'm like in my in my son's high school or preschool parking lot and uh and there's like this bikini girl showing on my dashboard i'm like oh my god i gotta listen to something else <laughs> that's not gonna work <laughs> so yeah that is very strange um i i hope tesla improves that uh shortly i i'm not i'm not you know keeping my hopes up here because I, I know that chances are this will just be how this car is for most of the time i have it because nobody cares about this area of the software except me but yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> well you've said you never work at apple would you work at tesla
2: i mean i don't really want to move to california for a job however I actually did. I was thinking recently, like you know, would I would I be interested in working for Tesla? And I think, I think it would be actually potentially very interesting. Uh, it, it, I would certainly it would certainly give me pause. I would certainly consider it. Um, not you know not to work on any of like the fancy electrical stuff because I'm not qualified and also don't care. Um, but I you know to in order to work on like the the like in the in dash software, the touch screen software, the interface, the media stuff, maybe you know i I don't know maybe
0: what if you had to leave the house (laughs) (laughs) change the answer a little bit maybe a little could i bring hops no Hmm. like a job where you get up and you get in your tesla and you drive to the office and you do your work there and then you drive back home and you have to do it monday through friday and when you take vacation you have to tell them and you get a certain number of those a year i'm reminding you what a job is in Hmm. case if i can if i can wear my slippers and if i can take naps at the office then then yes uh slippers i don't know i think although we have some people at work who wear socks and some people at work who are barefoot but uh i feel like that is not the norm do you ever rock either of those looks john no are you kidding <laughs> like i mean if you've been in the if anyone has ever been in an office late in new england you see the the mice that come out Like, I mean, you're just you just there late and you look over and you're like, oh, there's a mouse. And they just hop across the carpet. And then you think about all the people walking around all day with socks or bare feet in this office. Like, (laughs) nope. Just a big nope there. Our first sponsor this week is Betterment.
2: Investing made better. Go to betterment.com slash ATP to see for yourself. It is never too late to start saving for retirement or your other financial goals. And the financial services industry has embraced technology with the entry of automated investing services. And Betterment is the largest independent automated investing service out there. You've probably heard a lot about Betterment in TechCrunch, the Wall Street Journal, and other big news outlets. Betterment makes it easier, more straightforward, and less expensive to invest. And this is the less expensive part is a big deal here. Their fees are way lower, like 10 times lower than most of what I've seen out there and most of the services I've used in the past. Um, so th- this is a really, really big deal to have such incredibly low fees. Uh, Betterment is built on smarter, cutting-edge technology to bring you sophisticated investing and financial advice all at lower cost than most traditional financial services. More than 150,000 customers choose Betterment's advanced advice algorithms and beautiful user interface to manage over 4 billion of their dollars. This is the perfect time to get started with Betterment and start saving for your retirement or other financial goals. Now, ATP listeners can get up to 6 months of investing with Betterment with no fees. That's a great deal. 6 months, no fees. Learn how at Betterment.com slash ATP. That's Betterment.com slash ATP.
1: Betterment. Investing made better. All right. So uh, Anonymous wrote in again. Anonymous does that from time to time. And they cleared something up, sort of, about um, Apple and renewable energy. And I was wondering... And I think a lot of people were wondering, eh, are they really using renewable energy or are they just like doing an offset sort of thing? So Anonymous wrote... Apple is engaging in agreements for 15 to 25 years of power from renewable facilities by contracting with a wind or solar developer and agreeing to a fixed price of power over the term. So Apple doesn't physically use this power. Instead, they agree to pay the wind or solar operator the fixed price per megawatt hour of energy generated by the farm. The operator then sells the actual power into the local market or utility service area where the facility is located. Um, And I don't know, John, do you want to kind of distill this whole economic bit after here?
0: I believe this anonymous person was somebody who works for some alternative energy or works in the alternative energy industry. And I don't think they were going from any firsthand knowledge of contracts, but just like last time we talked about solar and everything. And I think some people have a vision in their mind of Apple uh, building solar farms and connecting a big wire from those solar farms to their facilities, which may be a thing that happens in certain circumstances, depending on the geography and the available existing alternative energy sources. And then other people are imagining, Oh, all Apple is doing is buying offsets from some distant land and just saying, we'll pay you for that energy. And that offsets the energy we're taking from our local power provider. And then you give that energy to the people who live near the existing solar wind farm. Um, and I imagine they do all those things. And this uh, feedback had more detail in terms of the specifics of the agreement of not just that they're paying for energy, you know, elsewhere because like there's a you know solar power facility miles and miles away, and they're not going to like run a wire from that to them, you know. Uh, but that there it's not even that they enter these contracts where they say we'll pay you a certain amount uh, every month for you know for each megawatt hour of energy, and it's kind of like a bet between the alternative energy provider and Apple because. If it turns out that the price to generate that energy was lower than what Apple agreed to pay, um, then that's good because the the you know the solar operator says we only had to pay you know two cents per megawatt hour and you're buying it from us for for a dollar per megawatt hour and we get to keep the difference. And the reverse is true too. If it costs the solar energy provider oh it turns out this month it costs us ten bucks per megawatt hour and Apple agreed to pay us one dollar, we just have to eat that nine dollars per megawatt hour. So um, the the key. Financial deal here because this comes in when I was talking about how Apple can do this because they have all this money to burn. Is that in a deal of this kind, there is no upfront payment for the power if the facility already exists. All Apple has to do is enter into a contract with them and have this agreed upon price in this particular arrangement. I think what is it called? Uh, a contract for differences. It's called. Um, so you don't necessarily even have to have a lot of capital if you can enter into one of these agreements, and then it's just a matter of striking a good deal based on what you think it will actually cost over the long term to generate this power from this particular facility. So anyway, uh, the world is weird and that is a a detail that's not particularly important. It's not as if Apple's being disingenuous because buying offsets or entering into these agreements or paying for someone who lives near a solar facility to get that energy from the solar facility while you get it from the coal fire plant. Like it's all, it all comes out in the wash. We're all on the same planet. It's all the same atmosphere, all the same CO2. And if Apple didn't do this and didn't pay for these renewables, no matter who is actually getting those specific electrons, I wouldn't make a difference. What you're looking for is total, you know, total CO2 output uh, of the planet and not, you know, well, whether it's like right next to you or right next to someone else. Anyway, I thought it was interesting.
1: All right. So have all of us switched to Purple Safari? I am using it on my work computer. I just tonight installed it on my iMac, but haven't started using it yet. Um, I should note, actually, as I forgot about this follow-up, the beta of 1Password for sure. And at this point, they might have released a new um, non-beta version. Uh, But anyway, the beta of 1Password uh, supports the new Purple Safari. So if you are having the same woes that I was, you can uh, run the beta. Additionally, there's a switch in preferences that a couple people wrote, wrote in to tell me about and forgive me because i don't have ni- either your names or the preference in front of me but even on the regular version somewhere in like the advanced preferences where they have a the little uh, yoda or the little jedi looking person on the right hand side or the robot or not um there's a switch that says you can override the uh, security checks on the browser but anyway we're not here to talk about one password we're here to talk about purple safari so have you guys been using it
0: I've switched everywhere, and last week I was worried that switching uh, that I have to somehow disable my regular Safari, or it would like get launched by like an Apple event somewhere, or you know whatever. Um, But after using it both at home and at work for a week, uh, my fears were unfounded. You switch the default browser in the Safari preference panes for either version of Safari, you know, pull the other one off your dock, and it's purple Safari all the way from there, and it works fine. The only annoyance I found is that it unlike chrome which will like sync your extensions everywhere i had to sort of reinstall all my safari extensions and a lot of them i had to kind of track down and find the original websites where i mean i could have just dug them out of the folder but i was trying to you know it was a good time to just get them from the web again or go through the you know maybe get the, the later version if i had a bad update url but anyway i had to reinstall all my extensions rearrange all, rearrange all my icons on my toolbar uh re-import <laughs> the options like i have the safari keyword extension it lets you type stuff in the address bar and do searches I had to export those from Safari and import them. But anyway, once I got everything set up, uh, I'm all purple Safari now, and I think I'll just stay this way unless I have some compelling reason to switch back, like purple Safari suddenly starts crashing. But so far, so good. I I recommend people trying it out if you're interested in maybe having a little bit faster Safari or if you're interested in any of the the many new web technologies that are introduced in it, like if you're a web developer and want to try them out.
1: Yeah, I did feel like it was faster, although that very well could be a placebo effect. Um, but my, I f- remember thinking to myself, wow, this feels fast. So I don't know. But uh, it's, if you f- do you feel like it's been quicker for you as well?
0: Purple is faster. Everyone knows that.
1: Uh, totally. All right. Good talk. Uh, I don't know what that reference was, if it was one. Anyway, so there's been a uh, pretty considerable kerfuffle uh, going across the Internet over the last couple of days. About Text Expander Six, um, Text Expander is an app that have they sponsored us in the past? I believe they have. They sponsor so
2: much stuff. I think I, I'm pretty sure. Like I, I mean, I think PDF Pen sponsored my site a while about, a while back, which is also Smile. So at any rate, they've probably sponsored our stuff.
1: Right. So, uh, Text Expander Six is new, and it is moving to a subscription model. And it previously was. Uh, somewhere between like 10 and 20 bucks, depending on the platform, I believe. Um, and they tended to do an update about once a year from what I gather. Um, I am actually not a text expander user, but um, th- that's the general gist of what I've understood. And they've announced that, hey, they're going to switch to subscription pricing. It's about 50 bucks a year, give or take. And you can get sync through their own servers, kind of like what 1Password's doing now with 1Password for teams and 1Password for families um, and actually day one as well. So you can sync via their servers and you can uh have collaborations or you can have a shared uh, text expander snippets across teams if that's something that you're interested in but by the way uh we are not supporting dropbox based uh, sync anymore basically, it's either use the old version until it doesn't work anymore or give us money and and we'll and we'll give you the new hotness and a lot of people are flustered and we'll put a link to um mj size blog uh which as always is a really good summary uh this is one of the longer ones i've seen actually but a really good summary and it kind of goes through a lot of different reactions and i think the general summary is those who are developers or no developers completely understand it and and are probably willing to pay for it but those who are just users or can kind of put on their user hat, um, they it's it's a tough sell because unlike one password, uh, they're kind of taking something away. One password let you, it will continue to let you use Dropbox at least for now, and it seems that Smiles taking away that option for any future versions. So. I don't know. I don't really have a lot to say about this because like I said, I'm not a Text Expander user, but it's certainly a tough thing because how do you make money in the App Store these days? I mean, it's not easy, is it, Marco?
2: No, it's really not. I mean, you know, my my view on this is certainly colored by my own experiences in the app store. And and I have some distance from it because while I did purchase the most recent version of Text Expander before this, when I was thinking I could actually answer support emails. Um I, I don't currently use it um, because I it turns out I can't answer support emails. So I, I'm not an active user of it, so it doesn't I'm not really invested in it either way. And at the same time, I also now sell an app with subscription pricing, sort of. I see why a lot of people are mad about this. What I've seen from my own experience is that people get mad when they sense that you're like double dipping or unfairly charging in in whatever their view is of unfair. Um, Or if you charge them, or if you ask for money, or if you put up barriers in a way that they are not accustomed to, that breaks their expectations of like, I've never had to pay this way before, or I've never had to pay for this thing before, or I thought I already owned this thing outright. And this is all very, very tricky these days, because the reality is, people's expectations of software where you buy it and then you you know you can use it for a while until maybe there's an upgrade a few years down the road and then you buy the upgrade maybe at a discount people's expectations of that kind of software is that you pay once and then you have it and at the same time though they also expect updates to it they expect you to be fixing bugs to be providing compatibility for new versions of the OS and possibly even adding features all within that same initial price they paid. Somewhere along the line, like that, that doesn't work. They are thi- like, The people are thinking of the benefits of the software and the responsibility of the software makers as a service that is constantly provided over time for their one initial purchase price. But of course, they get really mad if you want them to pay on a subscription basis for what they're really getting, which is subscription benefits. It's kind of hard to not do that in some way or another, you' if you're the software vendor you are having ongoing costs you're having costs as a service um, whether you're running servers or not it's like you're having costs of just ongoing maintenance of this app and and you know advancing it moving it forward keeping it working uh, improving it etc So there is this disconnect between what people are willing to pay for which is they want to pay once and own it forever but also that if you don't give them constant updates, they will hate you even more for that. And they certainly don't want you to go out of business. They really hate when you do that or when you pull a product. They really hate that. (laughs) So that's worse. So they want you to be there and to be providing updates on a regular basis and to fix any bugs that crop up and to improve the product and to make it work whenever there's a new OS. They want that, but they don't want to pay more than that one time up front. So obviously something has to give here. So I don't begrudge the idea... Of subscription pricing, I do think, however, that this particular case, I, I don't think they did a very good job with it, and, and I, I'm not too close to it, so it's maybe I'm wrong. But I, I think the reaction of a lot of their customers that I've been hearing about from today that that might back it up that I'm right. What Text Expander has has done is they've transformed from a like what was the price of the app like thirty five bucks something like that.
1: I. Don't know to be honest. I thought it was closer to twenty originally, but I very well could have that wrong.
2: I, whatever it is, I think it's, it's somewhere in that range, right? It has transformed from that into a required five dollars a month service. So it's a it's a pretty substantial price increase, as well as the justification for this service being something. It, they they justify it by saying, "Oh well, now you can like share your snippets with coworkers or family or whatever else." And this is – it's like they took away the, the problem or the, the solution they had for syncing for your own personal stuff between your own computers, which was syncing via Dropbox or you know, BitTorrent Sync or whatever other options they had that you could sync pretty much any way you wanted to. But I think a lot of people did Dropbox syncing. So they took that away. And now they're saying, now you have to pay us a lot more than you were paying before, but you will get these benefits and the problem is those benefits were things that most of their customers, at least who were hearing from, and I don't know if this applies to their entire customer base, but the customers we're hearing from don't really want those benefits. They don't really care about those benefits and they're not going to use those benefits. So the reason everyone's mad is because not only have they changed the model in a way that a lot of people don't like, because a lot of people just don't like subscription pricing. And I t- again, I totally get why people don't like that. I don't like it either. But I also don't like software that goes out of business or that can't afford to keep updated or anything else like so it, it's hard i recognize this the way that software developers really need to have some model that provides recurring revenue over time for users who are using it all the time whether you do that via occasional upgrade to upgrade pricing or whether you do it via a monthly su- subscription or some other scheme or they do it with ads you know somehow you need to, you need to have some way to make money from people over time not just once up front
0: I don't think you need to be deep in the development community. Like, you know, the mindset, you know, certainly Marco's coming from and all of us, cause we know developers and we talk to developers and like, we have that perspective. But I think for this particular change, I think you could take just anyone from business school and throw them at this. And even if they don't understand what software is, um, I think it, it looks like so many other uh, business decisions. So from my perspective, what they're doing, and it explains a lot of the anger that Marco just, you know, talked about from the, the you know, the customer's perspective at the very least, um, is they have, a, they have a customer base now that uses their product. If you were to survey those customers and say, how much value do you get out of using Text Expander? A lot of them would say, you know, I you know, maybe I get $45 worth of value additive over the lifetime that I've been using it. Some of them would say... Maybe I, you know, it's like asking like, how much would you pay? If we say take text expander away from you and to get it back, you have to pay some money. Obviously, if someone like uses it to answer support email, for example, or like does a lot of repetitive emailing or uses very sophisticated features where you fill in the blanks and everything like that, they're going to say, oh, you know, this is the main tool I use to make my living. Like it is an essential part of my workflow. If text expander was gone, I don't know what I would do with myself. It is incredibly valuable for me. The fact that I paid $45 for it last year is like the steal of the century. Like this is. Literally, how I get all of my income, uh, and the the dream of any business school major is like, can I charge that guy like three thousand dollars, and then charge the guy who's only going to use it twice a year like five bucks? Like, can I charge every customer the maximum amount they're willing to pay for this software? Yeah, the the answer is you can't do that because we don't know how much it's worth or whatever. Um, but what you can do, and what it seems like spend, Smile is trying to do with this one, is say we've got all these customers for a lot of them, they're getting like $45 worth of value or even less out of the software. But there are some users who get a tremendous amount of value because Texas banner is very powerful. If you do the type of things that Texas banner is made to do, this is like best in class, like very sophisticated features, uh, You know, like it makes, you know, a very polished workflow, a mature product, stables, you know, like this is this is a it's not just like my first text expander type thing. This is a very uh, substantial product (laughs) for the people who do this all the time. And you say, I would rather just sell to those people for a much higher price in a way that we can continue to sell to those people essentially forever, as long as those people exist, because they're doing it for their job. And we're going to provide them this tool to do their job. And the same kind of like Photoshop type arrangement. Like you're a graphic designer. You use Photoshop to to make your living. Uh, And we will give you the tool to make your living. And so you will subscribe to Photoshop because it's a bargain to you to pay, you know, whatever it is, 100, 200 bucks a year to make thousands upon thousands of dollars as a graphic designer every year. And if we took away Photoshop, it would seriously impair your productivity because you have to learn a new program and so on and so forth. So it's like Texas Manor is saying, thanks for all the participation casual text expander users but we would much rather uh sell to the heaviest text expander users at a price that they find justifiable and that we feel like is the most sustainable the most profitable like whatever you know we're we're gonna make it up in lack of volume essentially it's the opposite of we're gonna make it up in volume (laughs) i just want the good customers the ones who the power user customers and so why people are mad is Texas expander basically saying to them, not really, but basically saying, we're not that interested in your business anymore. If text expander was only worth $45 and you want to use it for five years, uh, that's not the type of customer that we want to serve. Maybe it's because they feel like they can't serve it. Maybe, you know, like, I don't know what the, what the motivation for it is. But even if they were doing great, they could say, we're refocusing our business on the pro text expander market, right? And so everybody who wasn't a pro text expander is like, but but I like text expander. Like I don't use it that much, but I really like it. And now you're telling me I've, I've been priced out of this market, like, because you want those other customers and that can definitely make people mad. But what I keep thinking is the, do those people getting mad? Does that affect Tax expander at all? Like, you know, that's, that's the business. You try a business model and you see, are there enough people who are willing to pay 50, 60 bucks a year for text expander to make up for all the people you're losing who wanted to pay, you know, $45 once and use it for three years. That's the experiment they're running. I think it is a perfectly valid experiment to have, but a necessary side effect is the sort of the disenfranchised become angry about the fact that previously they had access to this very powerful utility that maybe they only used occasionally or used a fraction of the power of. And now uh, they, you know, they can just use the old version until it eventually stops working. and They've, you know, they've been cut out of that market and they have to look elsewhere. so they could be annoyed by it, but I can't, feel like i can get mad, particularly mad about it just because i think it is a it's a reasonable strategy for trying to make your business both more profitable which you know like oh they just want more money yeah that's how business works like more profitable and more sustainable because if you get if you ever hit that critical mass like apparently adobe has and many other companies are tried to of these users use my tool to make their living they're willing to pay this much every single year and that amount that they pay every single year with the number of them there are is enough to sustain development you can do that essentially indefinitely like as long as you know a competitor doesn't come and steal your thing or your product doesn't become moot because everyone uses mind control or you know so many other things can affect you but at the very least you've got you've got the basic inner workings of a sustainable business model there which is a refreshing change after the sort of boom bust uh you know viral hit uh throwaway application, uh, you know, things that, that the app stores have brought on where it's like, I got to make a new app every year and it's got to be a big hit. And if it isn't, we're going out of business. It's so much more comfortable to be able to have loyal customers who pay for your product and they're paying for your product every year, pays for your development. and You just do that.
2: You know, if that really works out for them, if they end up making more money from this, that's fine. I, I think there's a couple angles to this to, to reconsider, though. First of all, and I know you didn't say this, but for people thinking this, you can't just say, oh, well, they just wanted to make more money. It might be that they were
0: declining in revenue and they're trying to sustain this business or to keep this product going. Well, that that is making more money. That is making more money. More money than they were previously making because the previous amount was not enough to keep them in business. Like, they need to pay the bills and get the lights on.
2: Right. But, like, you know, you can look at it as, like, a pure greed angle if, like, they were doing fine before and now they just want to juice it even higher. But it's also possible that it was going down before and now they're trying to just, like, bring it back up to where it was, right? So, and, and if you read between the lines and some of the statements they've made it's it sounds kind of like it wasn't making enough
0: money before for them to justify working on it. but do you draw a distinction between those two cases that you just outlined as in well, previously we were sustainable, but we felt like we could make more money with this model, and previously we were unsustainable, so we have to do something to avoid going out of business like do you do you think those those are really any different like is there is that a distinction that you make as a customer uh certainly it's a distinction you can imagine making just as kind of like a human being where if they are if, if it looks like they're going to go out of business you feel bad for them you have empathy you're like i like those guys i like their product i don't want to see them go out of business both for selfish reasons like you said because i'm a user of their product and i don't you know i want it to continue to be developed right and also because you feel bad like oh they've been doing a good job their job is to write programs i think they're good at their job and i would like to see them succeed because you know just basic human empathy and therefore you're more willing to sort of uh you know allow for changes in their pricing model to sort of help them out versus they had a sustainable business and they just want more money and that suddenly that that is it's villainous to do that like that that you should never that as soon as you have enough to to pay your bills and not go hungry and pay for food and shelter you should never want more because wanting anything more is entirely like is essentially evil and uh, that's that's (laughs) greed and (laughs) <laughs> I, I don't see a hard line between those things. I know a lot of people do, but it's like, where do you draw that line? When, it, what is enough money? Like I have enough to have payroll and enough to pay my mortgage, um, but not enough to, to save for retirement to send my kids to college. Is it okay to ask to, to make more money then? Like, I I don't know that, that if you start breaking that down, it starts to be nonsensical. So I'm, I'm personally willing to give wide latitude to making more figuring out ways to make more money with your labor, if you're good at writing software and the software product you have made and, and polished over the years is, is text expander and you find a way to make more money from that product, I don't attach any moral judgment to that um, at all, even if it means that a whole bunch of your previous customers are no longer in your customer base for future versions. But I know a lot of people do, and I, and I think I think a lot of that, like what you just highlighted, Marco, explains a lot of the anger that people really do draw that line of like, you were making enough money to not to not live in the street already and now you want more forget it you're evil oh to- a lot of people <laughs> believe me i
2: hear from them that a lot of people draw that draw that line um, and i'm i'm not one of them but that you know that i think that could be something to consider here for you know if you're getting angry at smile for really dramatically raising the price of this app um in, in a way that you might not like uh you know it might be because they had to but also you know you have to look at the competitive landscape here there are lots of Similar utilities that that do the same basic job and just differ in like the features they offer on top of that, you know. So there's there's lots of alternatives to this, and honestly, today's probably been a very good day for them. However, you feel about this, with you know whether you're a customer or not, looking at it from Smile's perspective, um, I I think this was a mistake for them. And time will tell. Obviously, I don't I don't know the market at all. Time will tell, but they have basically discarded a big part of their existing customer base. In an effort to either get more money from the part that's left and or to move into a more business oriented one where um there there will be allegedly businesses who use like synced snippets and everything from Texas Commander. And that might be a big business. I don't know. I don't I, I wouldn't have guessed it would be a big business, but I'm wrong all the time. So that might work out for them. If it does, that's fine. But I don't think this is gonna go well because what I see mostly happening here is you know, you can, you can make a move like that when you are in a position of strength. You know, when, when you're like the only game in town and people depend on you to get their work done. And for a lot of people, that will be true. But I don't think for enough people. Because for a big part of the customers who are now faced with a big price hike and removal of features they used um, versus, you know, other choices, they have lots of other choices. There's all these alternative uh, software things that do this for substantially less money now you know b- before they were much more competitive now like they're they're in a, a high competition environment so i i think i mean one way to do this or you know one way to resolve this if they wanted to make more money or needed to make more money more money from this you can either cut the costs that you're putting into it or you can charge more both of those are going to affect your users negatively in some way the question is you know which one can you get away with better and uh, I, I'm not sure they chose correctly, but I don't know how many choices they had. I, I don't know anything about their business.
0: Yeah, the natural consequence of this, if you just keep playing it out, is that, you know, it's like someone gets the idea. We could be enterprise software. We could charge minimum five figures for any installation of our thing. Like, <laughs> why not sell Text Expander into, uh, you know, the, the sort of large uh, email-based support uh, networks of like where if you if you if you're a very large company and you just have to hire like literally hundreds and hundreds of people to answer your support emails and everything you'd want to give them tools to do their job well and sort of standardize on basic snippets and templates and so on and so forth. Um, you can imagine I'm sure there is really terrible enterprise software that already does that and Tech Expander perhaps sees that market and say I would rather sell five million dollar installations than you know a million five dollar apps. Right. Like we want to actually become enterprise software. And as we've discussed in many past shows, enterprise software can be tempting and can be lucrative. And you can be protected from uh, competition by the fact that it's a pain in the butt to sell enterprise software. You have to hire salespeople and there's a high barrier to entry and you have relationships and make deals on golf courses or whatever the hell goes on. But enterprise (laughs) software is absolutely poison to the quality of your products and it makes you vulnerable to anyone making anything worth a damn because eventually you know the enterprise software the my definition from many years ago was like when the person who buys your software is not the person who uses it and that is a totally misaligned incentive and it leads to software that is very uh very attractive to buy but terrible to use like it's why igloo stays in business like you, you really you really want to you you are vulnerable to someone who actually makes a product that the users like because eventually even enterprise users start to revolt and bring their iphones to work or bring their macs to work or bring whatever product they think is not a piece of crap and use that instead so not that i'm saying tech spender is suddenly a terrible you know oracle or sap type company but that is if you just keep playing that out and say instead of mass market low price let's do Uh, You know, much smaller market, much higher price. And it could be, like you said, Mark, if it's it's a crowded market for text expander type products, how does text expander differentiate? What do they have that the other ones don't? Maybe what they have is we have a very sophisticated feature set. We want to be the pro text expander product. We're going to leave the consumer market to our competitors and let them fight it out for, you know, the thousands and thousands of people who want to pay, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 bucks. And we want to move up market and just keep the sort of high end the people who are willing to pay more for a better more sophisticated product because it's part of how they do their job I don't know how to handicap it either like like you said Margo we, neither one of us knows like the intimate details of the text expander market landscape or whatever I have the same feeling that this doesn't seem like a power move to me this seems like something they would do because they were having trouble sustaining um, I, I do agree that you know the alternatives you laid out are there like maybe you just lower your costs. maybe they had hired too many people maybe, you know I have no idea how big they're their staffing is there um but and that's one way to go but the other way is to you know like i said make it up in lack of volume can, can we make more money by selling to fewer people for a higher price and that seems again with total vacuum of knowledge to me if i had to make a bet i would say that that has a higher chance of failing than not because it's really really hard to do that i mean it's, it's hard to do it in either direction hard to say hey if we if we cut our price in half will we get more than double the customers especially in the app store market the way it is that has worked for many people more often than hey. If we double our price or triple our price, uh, can we get more than half or a third uh, as many people? Um, I don't know, but anyway, this is business. Like I don't, I, I, again, I understand why people get angry about it, but like that's how it works. They decide a price and they say we are offering you the server at this price and customers decide whether it's worth it for them. If it's not worth it, they don't buy it. And that is a signal to the company that you need to change something. And if it is, you know, and maybe the signal they were getting with the $45 one-time purchase product was people will buy it, but they don't like upgrades and we can't pay to maintain the software. Um, So uh, I think we just, you know, we'll come revisit this in a year and see how it worked out for them. But I think going on market is a viable strategy. I just feel like they might have to go even farther up market, uh than this and and i agree with everything marco said about it's kind of like the you know the things we talked about with with overcast so like perception wise that uh you being cut out of, of the market in a in a way uh it makes you feel bad like i you know i like the previous deal i was getting and now they've altered the deal <laughs> and casey can finish that reference for me if he remembers it um and they're sad about it uh and they also think there's no reason for it. But th- I don't think they're looking at it from the perspective of Texas expander. And why should they? They're just the customer. But from the perspective of Texas Banner it's like maybe maybe Texas Spanner doesn't want you as a customer anymore. It's like, what do, what do you mean they don't want me? I've been such a loyal customer. I love their product. Why wouldn't they want me anymore? Why can't why can't they just continue to make the product that I've been using that syncs with Dropbox? Why can't they just keep making that forever? Uh, and the answer is because you don't want to pay for it again. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> no. I do want to pay for it again. I'll, I'll pay you forty five dollars right now. Would you? Suddenly, you're ready to pay forty five dollars if they came up with a new version of Expander and you bought six months ago. You'd be excited to pay forty five dollars for a new version. I don't know if you would. Anyway, even if you would, maybe there's not enough other people like you, and so they have to come up with something different. Uh, it's it's not. It's not personal. It's just
1: business. I made passing reference to this earlier, but I think it is important to reiterate that, you know, 1Password changed, well, maybe not changed their model, but augmented their model um, by this 1Password for Teams and then 1Password for Families. And the thing that that made me cool with 1Password for Teams and 1Password for Families was it didn't change the way things were. So it was not a change as, like I said a second ago, it was an augmentation or an addition. Um, if one password hypothetically had said, you know what, if you want to sync between your own devices, leave aside other people, leave aside the team aspects and the family aspects. If they had said that, Hey, if you want to sync your passwords between your devices, guess what? You have to sign up for $5 a month. Uh, I would be, fairly upset because I would feel like I got hoodwinked. I would feel like it was a bait and switch. And I freaking love 1Password. I consider it like you were, I think it was you, John, describing earlier, maybe it was Marco, but it it is essential for me to get my my life done. Not even my work, but my life. I love 1Password and I would probably pay $5 a month for this hypothetical sync-only service, but I would be pretty frustrated with it and i would perhaps go from saying i freaking love one password to yeah i like one password and i use it as it turns out because they're they didn't take away what i already had and additionally they they added this new family feature that's five dollars per i think per family per month and a family is defined as like i don't know five or so people i forget exactly the specifics um i've signed up for one passwords for family and that was actually the impetus i needed uh, to to can to get Aaron using one password as well, which we haven't actually done yet, but it's on our to do list for the weekend. Is to get Aaron finally using one password, and and that to me is the right way to handle this. But just like you guys said, you know, I'm making I'm making all these proclamations in a vacuum, and I don't know what what Smile's dealing with. I don't know what they're up against. But taking away what's already there in that in that they're saying that they're not going to support uh, Dropbox and other sync methods. Man, that, that's hard not to feel burned by that. I mean, even if you're sympathetic to them, it's hard not to feel burned.
0: But you wonder if it's like intentional, like we'll see in, in the coming days if they change course, because it could have been like what one password. did was essentially expanded their market. Like they said, we have all these customers. Yeah, they yeah, use yeah. our product. We think some of these customers would be willing to pay more because it is really important to them. So if we give them this one extra feature, this family sinking or whatever... We're going to leave all the existing customers with the product they have. It's the same product. It's not, you know, we're not excluding them. We just want to expand the market with this new little bump in our little, you know, the blob that is the market. Put another little bump that's, and these people are willing to pay five bucks a month. Everyone else keeps what they've got. But we can, we can extract more monies from our customers for a certain subset of the customers by giving them a little bit more and charging them a little bit more. It totally seems, if that's what TechSpender was trying to do, it doesn't seem like they did it well. Because what they did instead was took the blob that is their market sliced off most of it and then the remaining part is the people who are willing to pay fifty dollars a year right if that's not what they intended then you'll see scrambling a week from now oh we've changed our mind and in fact you can use text expander sync with uh, sex expander six with dropbox syncing or you can use text expander six with no syncing for the old price or whatever like we'll see like i'm basing my you know uh, looking at what this move as if this is intentional because we all see the effects that it's having i think they see the effects that it's having If that isn't intentional, I think they will backpedal and say uh, we need to what we really meant to do was actually just get more money from the people who use it a lot, but not lose all those other customers because we totally need them. So we'll see if they change their mind based on, you know, the first week or two of, you know, sales and returns and, and complaints about it. But I think both of those strategies are viable. Like one is not I mean, one of them makes Casey sad. You know, obviously, if you're in the market that gets cut off by that strategy, it can be, you know, not good for you. But. In the end, it doesn't, you know, from the company's perspective, it doesn't matter, except for perhaps long-term brand loyalty decisions. But again, if you're going towards the high-end or enterprise, the enterprise people may love you even more if if you add all these superpower user features. I'm like, hell yeah, I'll pay fifty dollars a year. You know, this is how I make my living. Sure, you know, sign me up. And especially if they they realize year after year that this means new versions come out regularly, bugs get fixed, you know, better or whatever. Um, but yeah, with as as with all things, you can't assume uh, omniscience on 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 the part of either party here so it's 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 possible that they just didn't anticipate the backlash and uh, i guess we'll find out in the next week's shows or the week after we are also sponsored tonight by
2: ring the ring video doorbell go to ring.com slash atp to see the ring video doorbell now Video doorbells are pretty cool gadgets, and there's lots of reasons to have them for convenience, of course. You know, there's, you can see who's at your door, you can respond, and what's really cool is there's advanced motion detection here. This alerts you whether or not somebody actually rings the doorbell or not. If, if there's just like a person who walks up to your door, Ring will alert you about that too. It's like caller ID for your house, like no matter whether, whether somebody rings the doorbell or not, they alert you to it, regardless of whether you're home or not because it uses your phone in addition to your actual doorbell like ringer. So if you're not home, you still get notified, and you can respond through two-way audio through the Ring doorbell. So you can pretend like you're home. The advantages here are not only your convenience, but also safety for your home and your possessions. Because Ring has found over 95% of home break-ins and burglaries happen during the day. And burglars usually start by ringing your doorbell to see if somebody's home. And of course, if they're home, you they generally move on, right? So with the Ring video doorbell, it can actually be a security benefit as well, not only showing you when people walk up to your door and having a record of that, uh, but also it, it can help deter people. First of all, they know they're being watched once you respond, and they'll think you're home, and so they'll move on. So in addition to all the incredible convenience features of having a video doorbell, it's pretty great for home security as well.
0: You missed the essential feature of this. So we talked about home security, and you know, if you're not in the house, the key one is... For the ultra lazy, you can answer the door without getting up on your couch. You can send away solicitors. You can, you know, tell the delivery guy to just put it on the doorstep. You know, you could uh, like you can see who it is and decide to pretend you're not at home all while you just sit in your living room watching TV. <laughs> I love that. That's that's, awesome. that's what you took away from this. <laughs> la- yes, this is a laziness dream. enabler. I, you don't have to get up <laughs> from your couch. You can just pick up your phone and go, no, I'm not answering that. Nope, sorry. I'm not interested in whatever you're selling, you know. Oh, they're only robbing the Civic. It's fine. (laughs) <laughs> yeah no so check it out today it can work with
2: your existing wiring for your doorbell or they also have a model that uses a battery so you don't need to wire it go to ring.com slash atp this is widely recognized as a great gadget by uh, time magazine usa today to name a few listeners get a free uh extra shipping rate by using our code so go to if you go to ring.com slash atp you get free fast shipping check it out today with the ring video doorbell you're always home go to ring.com slash atp now
0: thanks a lot this, this actually segues into our, our next our next topic, slightly unbeknownst to Marco, although he's probably the one who wrote it there. Because um, I think this is a, a good time to bring this up, what with me having my uh, iPod stolen out of my car. By the way, speaking of my iPod being stolen out of my car, one thing I forgot to add when you guys were talking about your your various ways of trying to play full soul full of MP3s like it's 1994 in your, in your cars. <laughs> um, why do neither one of you do what I had been doing, which is take one of the many old ios devices that is no longer useful for anything uh and connect it through usb to your car and just leave it in there permanently aside from the fact that you're afraid it's going to get stolen out of your car setting that aside if you do that you will get uh, all the things you talked about like you know a real interface to playing things hopefully reasonable album art not worry about it accidentally doing things alphabetical um if you park your car close enough to get wi-fi from your house and, and your thing has you know, iTunes in the cloud thing synced, you won't even have to bring the thing back in to put your new music on it. Your new music will just sync to it, you know, silently when you drive your car home and just let it sit there, right? It seems like it would solve all of your problems assuming you had a place to store the connected iPod and all that. Is, is that not something you guys are
1: interested in? No, definitely not. I don't want another thing to manage. I would either use the stuff that's built into the car like i was describing earlier because i actually don't have a problem with it or if it's not already in my car then i would just use bluetooth on my phone but what are you
0: managing though because like literally my thing is just it's plugged in 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 a closed compartment and i never even see it and like i said now that that i park within a wi-fi range of my house uh it gets my new music on if i buy a new song that song is on my car like the next time I drive it. It's, there's nothing to manage. You don't need to recharge it because it charges when you drive your car. I get all the features that you would expect, like on my on-screen display, of showing the artist, the album, the whole thing. It even shows, you know, Unicode characters and the titles correctly. Like everything just works. And this is a Honda Accord. I'm assuming all your fancy BMWs and Teslas have the same ability. The only <laughs> downside is you got to have an iOS device, which is way larger than the little tiny thumb drive that Marco has. So it turns out Tesla
2: actually does not support iPod USB interfaces. Oh. Like they only support either USB folders, like USB file browsing or Bluetooth. They're preemptively
0: spiting the Apple car. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Going to compete with us Apple, rumored to be co- possibly in the future competing with us, no USB support for iPods. I mean it also could
2: be possible that like, you know, either A they haven't gotten to it yet because they're a little bit new or B they just probably think like, you know, the future is Bluetooth anyway for you know for that kind of role for most people so it's it's kind of it it probably isn't worth the trouble to build that into a car that like you started the media system platform only a few years ago
0: yeah i mean i could you could do also the same thing like my ipod that i have plugged in with the usb interface i could leave it plugged into usb just for charging purposes and then have that connect through bluetooth yeah like anyway anyway that sorry for that derail the 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 topic that's related to the ring doorbell is quoting the show notes here presumably written by marco marco's recent experiments in home automation surveillance and general madness i'm adding that last part yeah this was my grab bag <laughs> of topics if we ran
2: out if we ran out of time or ran out of topics today and we wanted something else and you moved it up but we, we didn't <laughs> run out
0: i actually i shuffled i shuffled it upwards because i've seen i see your tweets about like I, does anyone can anyone tell me how to find a a replacement for three-way light switches that will respond to like voice commands to my amazon echo and it sounds like you're really you're really going off the deep end, as as is your way. So I I actually do want to hear about it. Okay, so let me
2: let me pre- preface this by saying, and I think I said this last week, that you know earlier in in um, I, f- I forget when it was, whether it was our Thanksgiving episode or whether it was after the New Year, sometime um, we were we were in a positive mood and we were expressing what we we're going to do in the future or this year or whatever. And one of the things I said was I because I, I had been having trouble getting. Um, Excited about a lot of stuff that's coming out of Apple recently, uh, I decided that you know I wanted to start ex- exploring more outside of the Apple ecosystem. You know, just other stuff, other platforms, other exciting things happening in technology that aren't from Apple. Uh, and so the, the Tesla, obviously, was uh, was contributing to that quite a bit. Um, but also, um, I've recently decided, you know what? Let me let me explore past uh, Siri, and everyone's saying the Amazon Echo is really good. So you know what? What the heck? I'll try. You know, our, our friends have had one for a while, and whenever whenever we're over there, I always would think like, you know, that that's kind of really awesome. Like, you know, they just talk to it and it plays good music, and, and it just see, and like the voice activation was really good and fast and always worked. And we're like, that's kind of incredible. Like being being a I'm I'm, not, I'm gonna try to not not be negative about Apple, but just you know, being accustomed to Siri from Apple, um, the Amazon Echo by comparison is extremely fast to recognize what you're saying and can recognize it at a, at a seemingly much higher success rate for for me at least and, and in, the, in the environments i've seen it and even in in conditions that you would think would be hostile like while it's already loudly playing music in a loud room and you are 12 feet away it can still recognize you most of the time uh so that it's actually surprisingly good um if you're if you've only ever used siri as like your voice control baseline It really is surprisingly good. I would say, in many ways, substantially better. Probably not every way, but in the ways that I use it for, it is substantially better. Anyway, so we got an Echo. I decided, you know, what else can this thing do? And it turns out, when you're not in, you know, similar to what I discovered with USB sticks, when you're not in the Apple ecosystem, nothing costs any money. (laughs) You can get a ridiculous number of, like, smart objects and things things with ports or Wi-Fi in them, for almost nothing so for instance one of the things we just got was uh, amazon dash buttons which it's it's, this it seems ridiculous for five dollars which becomes a five dollar credit once you use it so for basically free you get a little button the size of like a keychain with a sticky back and it's it comes assigned to a certain brand's products things like uh charmin for for your toilet paper or bounty for paper towels or you know razor blades or whatever it's there's just a button there's no screen it's just a single button you stick this wherever you store these household objects and when you are running low you hit the button it automatically orders more of that thing whatever you've assigned it to order from that brand from amazon and it comes in a couple days so (laughs) i have one for paper towels and i have one for toilet paper
1: Wait now, let me interrupt you right there. Genuine, genuine question. Yes. If there are like eighty four different flavors of charmin, so to speak, do you like specify what one it is that you want?
2: Yes. And you can you can go on the site and you can with with each dash button. There's like a little green thing. It looks like a banner ad, and so you miss it the first few times, but it's not a banner ad. There's a little like green banner right below the item description on each dash button, and it says like you know, view what this button can order and you can click on that and that'll show you before you even buy it you can see like make sure that it can order the thing you know the version of it that you use um, and then you set and when you set it up it's kind of crazy so it's it's this little button thing with no screen and with some kind of you know long-lasting battery it's a permanently installed i think battery uh, it's a wi-fi device so it has to be a pretty hefty like lithium something or other battery in there anyway how do you pair the thing Normally, these things—they, you know, many of these smart objects—they will create their own little ad hoc Wi-Fi network. And so, you launch the app on your phone, you join your phone to this stupid thing's Wi-Fi network, and then it auto configs with the app. It tell, you know, the app tells it your real Wi-Fi network's password, and then it, you you click back over, and it sucks. Huge, you know, clunky process that I hope Apple gives some kind of method of improving with, like you know, multi-mode Wi-Fi, something, I'm, I'm pretty sure things, things like that exist. Anyway, um, you know, those kind of like temporary ad hoc Wi-Fi networks don't take over your main Wi-Fi, whatever those are called, that like, you know, camera things can use used to. Anyway, please, Apple, add those things. Anyway, uh, so the, the, the way that the, the, the uh, Amazon Dash buttons work is you, you place the button next to your phone and the phone like emits like static pulses out of the speaker via audio and the Dash button has a little microphone in it. And it just like communicates via these static pulses the Wi-Fi information to the dash button. And then it's just like, all right, after a few seconds, you hear this little weird static, and then it's like, all right, done. It's just so cool. And all this was for $5. I know this is all just shameless consumerism to honor the god of Amazon and make you buy even more things from Amazon, but (laughs) that is still remarkable from a technology perspective that that works and
1: costs nothing. Like That's kind of incredible i want I've really looked into recently, and I think this is just fascinating. Somebody has like reverse engineered how all of this works and there's actually a a node module called node Dash button that you can use to have a dash button instead of calling phoning home to amazon it it just tells a node server running on the local network the button has been pressed. And so what I was really looking into, but I couldn't quite make it work, just the other side of it work, I really wanted to buy a dash button and then stick it on, like, the bedside table and then have that call down to my internet-connected garage door opener, my Chamberlain my queue. And if the garage door is open, close it. So that my bedtime routine would just be to smack this dash button that has nothing to do with Amazon anymore. And if the garage door is open, it'll automatically close. I could never get it to work, but... I think it's really cool and fascinating that people took this $5 device and are now, like, hacking it such that it can be used for something entirely different. And I just think that's fascinating and super cool. And it's for reasons like this that I really want to start figuring out how the hell Raspberry Pis work and what that's all about.
0: Yeah. My question about these buttons is, like, the reason I... When they came out with them, it was like, is this like a joke? Is this like an April Fool's joke? You know, like they came out with it, like last year or the year before or whatever. It just seems so ridiculous that you're going to have talk about a, you know, Alton Brown uh, angering unitasker. You're gonna You're going to have a big shiny <laughs> red button in your house and all it does is order paper towels. My fear and why I'd never want to have that thing. And it's like I'm the same type of person who was always afraid to enable one click ordering is. I know that I and everyone else in my house would forget when we hit that stupid button. Who notice, oh, we need paper towels, and I would click the button. But I have no idea if someone came into the same room and came to the same conclusion an hour ago, and so now we have two orders of paper towels coming. I know someone else would, uh, you know. It turns out they
2: thought of that. Once you, once somebody hits it, it doesn't accept an order for another one
0: until that one has been delivered. All right, that's pretty good. I mean, I was, that's what I was thinking, like, well, rate limiting and debouncing, and here's, here's the other uh, secret thing of, like, if it doesn't order it until it's delivered, but you have small children in your house, you figure out how these buttons work. They wait for a package to be delivered, and then they go around the house and press every other button. Like just you know, because essentially it's allowing it is allowing anyone with physical access to your home to spend your money.
2: Yeah, but it's not like ordering an iPod. Like it's you know, well the iPods are pretty cheap. It's a bad well, example. But- yeah,
0: you just wait for the iPod buttons. <laughs> yeah. You know the the iPhone button. Just I mean, just put it. will put it in in your house and in Gruber's house. And as soon as the keynote's over, you just slam your fist down on the button, and it orders one for you. <laughs>
2: That's the new method of trolling: as you go you visit somebody's house and like when they're when they're like you know in the other room you go pushing
0: all their buttons to order all their paper towels. All right. So this so these dash buttons these are entirely independent of the Echo, other than the fact that they're all made by Amazon and hook up to your Amazon account, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. I to- was just totally an aside that you know I- I'm now like giving Amazon the benefit of the doubt and trying some of the stuff that they're that, that they're doing. That's all crazy. And after after the Fire Phone and after some of the really crappy Fire tablets, um, it's easy to write off Amazon's hardware efforts, but they're getting better and they're kind of getting remarkably better at some things. And, uh, I, I think writing them off completely is not wise because you know, they, they are going to keep making a lot of duds, I'm sure. But they're, but not everything they make is a dud. And some of the stuff they make is actually pretty cool. Anyway. So, uh, yeah. So I, so I have some, uh, some Belkin Wemo,
0: Uh, switch to outlets that i'm using to switch some lamps yeah can you explain that to me because i I understood that you were trying to make it so you could say words into the air and cause lights to go on but i don't know anything that connects those things other than the amazon echo is listening to you and then presumably what what happens after that the amazon echo hears you and what does it do what does it communicate with is this like an open standard are they all amazon products i don't understand this world Honestly, I don't know that much about
2: it. I, I haven't looked that much into it. You know, you go on Amazon's site and it tells you, like, here's all the things that work with the Echo. Um, some of the things require, like, a smart device's hub. Some of them don't. I've been only getting the ones that don't so far just because, why not? I bought a couple of WeMo switched outlets, because uh, they're the better way to do lighting is, if you can swing it, to use Wi-Fi light bulbs, like LIFX or Philips Hue, that kind of thing. I, I haven't used any of those yet because... The LifeX bulbs are too large to fit into the lamps in question, um, and the Philips Hue bulbs are not bright enough. Um, I like nice bright bulbs, and even LEDs, I like to get like the ones that are like the 100-watt equivalent, rather than the, most, the more common ones that are more like a 60-watt equivalent. Uh, so they're just not bright enough. Anyway, so the way I do this is I keep my fancy bulbs, and I just switch the outlets the lamps are plugged into. Again, I don't know how any, how any other system works, but the way Belkin's uh, Wemo thing works is all just local Wi-Fi. And there's probably a way to connect to a web service. I don't really care. There is. Um, but right now, I'm doing it on local Wi-Fi only. So you use their app to like configure the things using the stupid like you join the Wi-Fi network thing. But then once it's configured, the Echo knows how to talk to it directly. So you know the Echo just has support for whatever local protocol it uses over the local Wi-Fi network. And then you you, you go into the Alexa app to configure the Echo. It shows all your compatible devices and you can create groups so you can say like alexa turn off all lamps and it and it will and it just says okay and turns them all off and that's it sorry for anybody whose lights i guess turned off it's really cool like it, it what's really cool about it is that it's fast enough and it works enough of the time that it's actually convenient so part of my nightly routine you know you're, you're saying about your garage door, like trying to like trying to like eliminate steps from your nightly routine part of my nightly routine is is you know, we, we're done watching TV for that or whatever, so I go around locking all the doors, turning off all the lights, taking the taking hops out, you know, one last time in the backyard, and more lights go on and off, go on and off, and then come in, lock, lock, lock. Any step I can remove from that process will save me like fifteen seconds a day. And yeah, it's stupid to be talking about fifteen seconds a day, you know, this is obviously a position of like first world privilege here. But that's convenient. And when everything is so cheap, uh it it's it's actually kind of compelling. I've effectively cut 30 seconds out of my nightly routine just by automating some light switches and being able to tell the Echo, turn everything off at once.
0: Will the Amazon Echo tell my children 8,000 times to brush their teeth and get their pajamas on? Because <laughs> maybe I'll just say, A- Amazon Echo, uh, do the bedtime routine. And then Amazon Echo will say, uh, do you guys have your pajamas on yet? Or have you brushed your teeth? Are you, have you brushed teeth yet? Have you had your pajamas on? And you find them in their room an hour later playing with Lego without their pajamas on? Have, have you put your pajamas on? Have you brushed your teeth? That's the service I need. You could probably rig that up with you know IFTTT or something. I, I, I bet you. Could. <laughs> I bet there's
2: something like that. I mean, the thing is, like, and this is this is why I I really have been joined the Echo, and why I I I do worry for Apple's presence or lack thereof in this market. In order to make this market succeed, you know, in order like the, what makes the Echo so good is a combination of having what seems to be a pretty awesome, solid big data web service behind it which is not something Apple's good at. You know, Apple can do things like, you know, keeping notifications running, keeping iMessage running. When it comes to a, a kind of web service that uses big data and AI type stuff, Apple is not as competitive as other entrants in the market. And and it seems it, maybe that will change over time, but they're just not there. And they've been not there for so long after it, be, after it began to matter um, that it does seem like they're not capable of it, uh, or at least they don't prioritize it. You know, it seems like this is the kind of problem that other companies—Google, Facebook, Amazon—just do big data services better than Apple does. And what also makes this so powerful is all this integration with third-party stuff. And so Apple has HomeKit, but HomeKit is is a much less successful program, I think, than than what it needs to be. Whereas the Echo doesn't really ca- like the Echo is kind of all inclusive; it'll work with everything. Like they talked briefly about this on. Um, on connected this week on relay. Uh they were they were they were saying that there is some kind of like hardware requirement for HomeKit devices and, and that Belkin's kind of balking at it. Amazon doesn't really care. Amazon works with everybody. And like Siri launched in 2011. It is 2016. There is still no Siri API. There is no way for third parties to integrate with Siri at all. The Echo comes out like not that long ago, what, like a year ago? Last June or something, so almost a year ago. It is already full of third-party integrations there's an api for a lot of what it can do not everything there's still no music api which is, which means i can't make overcast for it yet but i'm hoping there will be soon uh, so th- it has but it, it has tons of integration with all these third-party things And anybody can go in and make like a speech response api to it uh, and it integrates with all this different hardware from all these different vendors amazon i feel like they're in a better position than apple is to to really take over this kind of thing, because this is so dependent on both the big data web service and also tons of third-party integration.
0: Yeah. Apple had the foresight to, you know, to purchase the, you know, the Siri research project company or whatever they were. Like they that they understood very early on that something like this could add value to their products. And, you know, I forget when they bought them, but obviously it was before it was actually released to the public. When they released to the public with the exception of Google, like they I don't know if they were in the lead next to Google, but they were at the very least seemingly neck and neck with Google in terms of we recognize this is gonna be an important thing for the future. And maybe our thing is kinda of crappy when it launches because Siri certainly was. Um but at least, you know, at least we're not ignoring this market. Like and in fact we're out ahead of a lot of our competitors. But like Marco said, like and then what happened? It was like the Mac Pro all over again. Well, we'll make Siri better, and Siri certainly hasn't gotten better, but there's no reason Apple couldn't have done something like Amazon echo years and years ago. Cause they had like there and Google has been expanding Google now and to, you know, to make it much more sophisticated and complicated than Siri. And we even have like just random apps, like this third party hound application that uh, Merlin was raving about a little while ago. Like, like lots of other companies are, you know, it's, it's not early days anymore. Everyone is like, oh, some kind of intelligent agency you can talk to is basically like speed recognition has, has kind of crossed a vaguely good enough barrier and then an understanding of speech and breaking it down into meaning and figuring out what you mean and not just like translating it into text and doing a Google search or whatever, you know, that's getting more sophisticated and it just takes a little bit more stuff to put it together into ways that allow like the community essentially the community of like nerds and hackers to come up with more uses for this thing so like Amazon echo and all that stuff definitely seems like much more you know nerd uh you know hacker friendly if someone who wants to just toy with it and figure out what kind of cool things to do with it and i'm like sure whatever build whatever on you want it's a pretty open protocol you can reverse engineer it like just go because they don't know like the, you know their, their approach is like let's do stuff and see what sticks right Apple is just totally absent in this market. And you could say that makes sense because Apple doesn't make sort of like tinker products for people who just want to hack on things. And, you know, if Apple wanted to have this product, it would be like, no, no, no. It has to be beautiful and elegant and integrated and blah, blah, blah. But if the end result is they just aren't in the market at all or know what, you know, they do HomeKit and they say, we have these strict requirements because your your products must must meet these stringent standards that we as Apple and blah, blah. In the meantime, Amazon's just like running off with it and they're going to wake up one day and say, You know, we we could have had a substantial chunk of that market and we just we just waited too long for for perfection and didn't, you know, just start releasing and iterating. Again, that's not the Apple way to do it, but I feel like in many other Siri was was like that. It was like Siri's not gonna be perfect initially, but it's important for us to get this out there because we feel like in the future you telling your phone to do something is a feature that we need to have and they were right about that every every cell phone you buy now has some feature where you can speak to it and have it do something either while you're driving to tell it to play a song or if you're just lazy and don't want to go find an icon and tap something just run a search or whatever they all have that and apple recognized that i'm not saying they have to be in the amazon echo market but i'm just thinking like vr where we all assume apple secretly doing things behind the scenes i hope they don't stay secret for too long either if vr turns out not to be a bust um Apple doesn't want to just be sitting there waiting for their perfect entry in that market either. And I think like think the watch as much as uh, we've all talked about it and had complaints about it, I think it was important for Apple to do a watch even if the watch they did has problems rather than saying mm, we're not entirely sure we figured out every aspect of what makes a watch good. Like the only way you're going to figure out is to make a product, right? They, that's that's and you can't you can't hold back from it. And, and how if they're making a freaking car, surely they can make an Amazon <laughs> Echo type competitor. And I think they could do a reasonably good job for it, if only because it would force them, like like Morgan was saying, force them to work on their backends more, as Siri has. Like they have all those presentations of like, look, we're using these open source, uh, you know, data processing backends for Siri, and we're all impressed by it, and we're talking at conferences. Like Siri forced them to do that um, because it wasn't simple enough to to use whatever they were using before. It was complicated. Uh, what is it, Mezos? Someone just wrote in the chat room. Mm-hmm. Having a product like Siri forces them to get better at that stuff having a product like amazon echo would also force them to get better at this type of thing as home kit should be forcing them to as well but if, if they're if they're going into the same situation where they're making you know very onerous demands of their third parties and the result is few third-party products they're you know they're they're not they're not winning that battle uh so yeah it's, it's kind of it's kind of disappointing and with amazon their challenge is always going to be It's easy to do the beginning part. We're just very open, and we'll try lots of things. Let lots of people go in. How do you develop it? I've been waiting personally. Like I don't know enough people who have an Echo that I've been like, I'm kind of interested in that. I'd like to try it, but I would like to wait for the Echo Two to come out the the one that is nicer and smaller and faster and more reliable and has more features. I know they came out with that little tiny one that doesn't have the speakers and stuff like that, but I I want like the full fledged Echo version two. If Amazon doesn't make an Echo version two for three years. I will have you know they'll, they will be again pulling a Mac Pro it's like you were right there why, why did you stop um, I don't think they will I think they will continue to iterate just look at how many freaking Kindles they've come out with and there's about to be another one they're hyping up
2: next week I, I have more Kindles to mail you and they're hyping up next week they're going uh, <laughs> to they're going to make another one that's that's
0: even thinner awesome yeah and we have no idea how many Kindles they've ever sold because they never put numbers on their graphs but they continue to plug away at that so I, I fully believe that Amazon will continue to plug away at the Echo if only because it just has such a natural synergy of like, make it easier for people to give us money. All right. Thumbs up. This is a good product for Amazon to make, especially since the hardware costs don't seem that big. It's like a, it's a speaker with Wi-Fi and uh, a whole bunch of microphones and a little bit of software. Um, they'll make that up the first year alone with people with uh, people accidentally ordering things by saying uh, Alexa, buy paper towels or whatever your kids are saying when you're not in the room. Anyway, I'm enjoying this thing it's not
2: perfect there's lots of things about it that are that are not perfect but overall it's really cool i would say if you're on the fence if you if you've been tempted by the echo if you're on the fence just get it just order it now like you won't regret if you if you're already like thinking you might enjoy it you probably will enjoy it and you should just try it uh, because it really is quite good what does adam say to alexa he gets very mad that she doesn't recognize him
0: (laughs) (laughs) he doesn't enunciate well enough that yeah basically (laughs) <laughs> you ask her to define words, multiply numbers, play music, convert units of measurement when cooking. So many things you could do. Setting timers by voice while
2: cooking is so useful. Like that's it. Always drove me nuts with the Apple Watch. It was it was so slow and somewhat unreliable to do that because when that works, it's so useful. It just doesn't work enough with the Apple stuff, but it works all the time with the Amazon thing. It's
0: or you have to push a button like activate Siri, and if you don't have Hey Siri enabled, you basically have to take your dirty, you know, cooking fingers and touch some iOS device, and then have it go bloop bloop, and figure out do I talk before the bloop or does it not? Do I have to (laughs) to wait for the bloop? And then you say set a timer for five minutes, and then you wait, and then you see, and then sometimes it misunderstands you. It seems to me from all the people I know who have Echoes that you can basically just yell it into the air with a reasonable expectation that it's going to get you, and if it doesn't, you yell it again, and you're not waking, ever waiting for a bloop. and the, the Echoes plugs in, right? It's not just yeah. battery-powered? Yeah, yeah. They have one that's battery-powered, but the, the, one, the, the one that's battery-powered
2: is is the tap, and that one doesn't listen all the time. You have to You have to push it to listen. Yeah, that's not good. So if you want to be listening all the time, you need to plug it in
0: is that is that the one i'm thinking of i thought that the one the one i was thinking of is is like is a very short cylinder it doesn't have it doesn't double as basically a bluetooth speaker that's the dot the <laughs> great names the, the dot does also plug in
2: and is always listening the dot is basically just like the big echo but without the big speaker so it sounds substantially worse if you're playing music through it and the big echo like as as a speaker is also a bluetooth, a bluetooth speaker as a speaker it is merely decent it is not an amazing speaker like the like i have a sonos play one right next to it and the play one is a way better speaker by a by a mile you know for like music quality volume tone the, you know the, the sonos system has way better speakers but the amazon echo is really convenient and that often wins cool Our final sponsor tonight is FreshBooks. Go to freshbooks.com slash ATP, and you can see for yourself why so many people love FreshBooks to to run their business. Now, FreshBooks is cloud accounting software and invoicing software that is so ridiculously simple to use that over 5 million small business owners are now officially feeling the FreshBooks effect. This means there's a lot more smiling and way less stressing when it comes to dealing with administration, paperwork, invoicing, and getting paid for your business. So, Invoicing is one of the biggest things they're known for. It's the really the core of their product. Freshbooks creates and sends invoices in literally almost no effort from you, about 30 seconds or less for most invoice creation. There's no formulas, there's no formatting, just perfectly crafted invoices every time. Freshbooks also lets you help track your expenses, and you can, you know, you can forget about any kind of complicated receipt tracking system because Freshbooks includes that too. They even have a mobile app where you can take pictures of your receipts on your phone uh, as you incur expenses, you know, in real life and it automatically categorizes them uploads them etc uh, so you can just you know take the picture forget about it move on with your life you can of course also enter things by the, you know into their interface they even have a connection to your bank if you want to give them your bank login details just like a lot of popular accounting software that can automatically download transactions freshbooks can do that too and you can help categorize your expenses that way freshbooks also offers for your invoices online payment so they have their own gateway plus you can integrate other gateways if you want to Your clients can pay you online, which usually means you end up getting paid a lot faster. In fact, they even have a cool thing that I think really broadens the appeal here. You can even, if you you do something in person, if you're, let's say you're like an electrician, you go to somebody's house, you perform a job, they have... A credit card reader that you can use with your phone in person. It integrates completely with their system, with their invoicing and everything, so you can actually accept payments in person with your FreshBooks invoices. Uh, they also have overdue payment reminders. So if, if you know people, let's say people take a long time to pay their invoices, which is often the case in the invoicing world, uh, they will they can automatically help send kind of robotic remind reminders so that you don't really have to have these these awkward conversations and keep bugging people. It does it on your behalf, and you can customize what the message says and. When they're sent and everything, it's really nice to avoid those awkward conversations about, hey, you know, you haven't paid me, and this is due six months ago. Um, so check it out today. This is only a tiny sliver of what FreshBooks can do uh, to feel the full force of the FreshBooks effect. Totally free for thirty days. Just go to FreshBooks.com/ATP and make sure to enter Accidental Tech Podcast in the How did you hear about us section. Once again, FreshBooks.com/ATP. Thanks a lot to FreshBooks.
0: I'm starting to think about why Apple why apple is the way it is about third-party integrations they it's not as if apple says oh we have to do everything ourselves almost everything apple does that has a reasonable place for third parties to be part of it there is a place for it to do it like their their apis they make apis for third parties to write software for their platforms they have programs for hardware vendors to make accessories for all their various hardware devices they have especially for hardware they have compliance programs you have to fulfill these requirements in terms of size and voltage and reliability and you know whatever like all sensible things especially in the hardware realm there's no shortage of accessories for ios devices you can buy even for the watches you can buy watch bands you can buy cases for your ios devices you can buy docks for them keyboards like everything that apple sells for its devices there's tons of, of choices for third parties so it seems like they know how to foster an open ecosystem of third parties selling things for their products and in software on application on the application front they're they're okay at that like you know we've talked about the app store and the problems it might have but it's not as if people have the impression that if you buy an apple product you're stuck with apple software they know lots of people make software especially for ios devices Um, and most of those people are not apple that make them and yet for things like this where they're connecting like to web services or they're sending you to someone else's store or they're integrating with someone else's line of products for your home. That seems to be like Apple's kryptonite, like anything having to do with the web, certainly anything having to do with money, like giving other people money or becoming their customer. Those seem to be areas that Apple is not willing to sort of open the doors and, uh, make connections. And they're precisely the area that you would want anything having to do with home automation or, uh, to connect, because imagine if Apple sold something like this, but you couldn't use it to buy things from Amazon. Apple's not a retailer of physical goods other than its own products. Like it's not, it, it's not technically a competitor to Amazon in this way. But can you imagine Apple? selling products and say oh and doing like a keynote demo and say look how easy it is for me to order new paper towels because they don't care about ordering paper towels their customers have to order paper towels but they're not going to endorse amazon unless they can extract some money or some deal from amazon or whatever um but that would be a perfect third-party integration. If they made a product like this and made an open API, surely a third-party would make an integration for their favorite brand of you know, Wi-Fi-enabled light bulbs or their favorite retailer or a Raspberry Pi thing or an integration with the Ring doorbell that we just talked about or whatever. Those are the things that you have to do if you're going to try to break open this market and be like the sort of de facto central speaking into the air in the middle of my house hub for home automation. And it just seems like Apple and even companies like Nestor still have the idea like, no, we're going to own the whole freaking house um, and we're going to tightly control our hardware vendors and they're going to comply to our specifications. And in the meantime, Amazon, using the old PC strategy of just we're completely open, do whatever the hell you want, and we'll just look at it a couple of years later and see what worked uh, so far is the only thing that has had any measure of success, even though it's a very small measure of success, just among nerds who are willing to pay 180 bucks to have a weird black cylinder of the house so that they can... uh, Ask how to spell words.
2: Apple has always had this this parts of its like corporate personality uh, reflected by uh, originally by Steve and and by you know a lot of the people who are still there, I think, and who are still making important decisions. The, they've always had this this these parts of their personality where sometimes a little bit too much greed shows and sometimes sometimes a little bit too too like control freaky shows, if that makes sense. And that that often holds these things back. So, for instance, the 30% in-app purchase uh, rule on iOS apps. One of the reasons why you can't buy Amazon books in the Kindle app for I, for iOS is this rule that, like, Apple won't let Amazon sell them directly without using in-app purchase. And if you use in-app purchase, Apple takes 30%. And that is a very, very high commission to take on sales that you're kind of not much of a part of. Um, but they do it and it works and it's the only game in town and you know if you if you want to be on this platform which really matters a lot you basically have to play by those rules or avoid them like amazon does and just don't sell anything there and th- that kind of attitude you know it goes way beyond that rule you know that kind of attitude also extends to things like 16 gig devices the price hike in the uh, ipad cases they just, you know apple has some greed there and You know, depending on, you know, like our discussion earlier about like whether you consider that, uh, you know, offensive or not or whether it's just business. Um, But they they do oftentimes prioritize profitability of things over, you know, making everyone else happy. And that is often good business. So I can't really fault them for that. But it does hold back certain kinds of
0: advancements from from the products. Or they're going for an ideal. Like sometimes they have a vision in their mind of how it's going to look and third parties will just screw up that vision with the crap that they add right and so that's the other
2: side of it is like is the controlling part of it where apple's very opinionated uh in in a lot of ways and and very controlling like so for instance um one of the uh more recent dust-ups around around apple's decision making was in the early betas of 9.3 they stopped letting the apple pencil navigate the entire ipad interface so the apple pencil came out in november or whatever with the ipad pro it could navigate the whole interface for you know its first few months and then in the early betas of 9 point whatever 9.3 they removed that ability and it was from you know the the official PR statement on it was was kind of BS the what we've heard from 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 people who are better informed on the matter is that this was actually an intentional decision because it was not being used the way they thought it should be used they didn't want it to be used to navigate the whole interface they wanted it to only be used for like artistic purposes or or you know drawing or whatever it was being it was just being used in a way that Apple didn't foresee and didn't think was proper but wasn't really hurting anything. And Apple almost removed that ability. And it was only, I think, only by a decent amount of public uh, shaming and outcry over this during the beta period that reversed their decision. They were being a little too overreaching in their control, you know, their desire for control.
1: Uh... I don't know if that's so true, though, because there was no obvious reason for them to get rid of it today. But what if something's coming in the future that that would conflict with this? the The pencil is equivalent to your finger approach that Mike and Gray love so much. You know, it it certainly seems to me like they should have some sort of happy medium, like there should be a switch for it or something like that. But I, I think it's it's a little bit it's a little bit bold of us to assume they're doing it just to be jerks. They they very well could be that they're doing it to set themselves up for something in the future.
2: Well, it might not even you know, I, I don't want to say that that they're being jerks necessarily. It's that they're being controlling. You know, we see a lot of this with app review too. And whenever there's like a whenever there's like an app review controversy, a lot of times it's because apple doesn't want us to do things a certain way or you know like like with like what happened with the disaster of like various rejections around today widgets with calculators and drafts and everything else where like PCalc in in this in, in today view and it's like no well you can't have buttons there because we don't want people to do calculations or to do work in the today view i was like okay that's kind of weird uh and maybe there might have been a technical reason for that, but it seemed from what they, from Apple's statements to the various developers who were affected by those things, it didn't seem like it was a technical limitation. It seemed like it was just like an ideological thing, like no, we this is not right. They should be using your app for this. All this is just to say, like there are these these areas in the company that still show these these negative personality traits that I think do hold them back in some ways. And sometimes it's the right move, but a lot of times it's not sometimes it leads to, to to better products but a
0: lot of times it doesn't i brought up the ipod and everything because i feel like they do this so well in so many areas like they strike the right balance in terms of you know the reason we buy their products is they're opinionated and we like their opinion if you don't like their opinion you buy different products right but if you like their opinion you like the fact that they're you know designed and as you know again especially in the hardware uh, carefully designed for the particular look and feel and the features they put in them and just you know the, the whole iphone itself like when is it When is uh what is the iPhone? When is when do we make a touch screen that Apple feels like is good enough? What are the aspects of it? Like the whole, you know, that that's how you end up with something like the iPhone that you have taste and opinions and you are controlling about it and you slowly open it up. But I, I, if I look at the market of iOS devices, especially on the hardware side, they're striking such a good balance in terms of having the products they want to have, selling accessories that they want to sell, but also having this huge ecosystem. Of accessories from other people, every kind of case you could possibly imagine, including ones that Apple surely thinks are ugly, but they're not forbidding those to be made or forbidding an integration. We're not going to let our iPhone be docked into this uh you know docking device because we think it's gross or we don't want it. you know, we don't want you to be able to plug this thing in with a USB cable and control this other thing like for the most part, within the constraints of their programs, they have a hands off type of attitude. Do you want to make a weird keyboard case that folds onto your iPad? six years before we come out with a, key, a hardware keyboard for our ipads it's not bluetooth fine we're not going to be like oh well we don't, we want to forbid that because we haven't decided whether we're going to do a, a keyboard with a thing even the styluses oh we we don't want you to we won't give you a made for you know ios uh stamp of approval on any styluses because we don't want to have a stylus like for years you had those little fake finger styluses and there was a million of them right apple's willing to just let that go and i think that was to, uh, an important thing because it showed them like especially if they sell any in their stores boy a surprising number of people buy these super terrible you know stylus things that they pretend to be fingers maybe there's something to the stylus thing after all and eventually they came up with their own solution which of course didn't have to emulate a finger and was much much better and they did a really good job but that i feel like that falls out of the having a big open market and it's just certain kinds of products that have a blind spot about that with even you could even say apple tv has that for so many years not having apps on it which just seems crazy because they had learned how important apps are and even now having the apps and having them be limited in all sorts of ways because apple has an idea of what a tv app should be like and they're necessarily fencing off whole ranges of possibilities even going down to you know my own particular pet peeves about 24 hertz output or whatever like that's a whole class of applications that could flourish or not on the apple tv but because apple has this narrowly defined you know you get 200 megs you download stuff on demand you can have games but you have to support their remote just like they're just they fenced it in so narrowly they're not allowing that ecosystem to expand in the ways that some of their other ecosystems have been allowed to expand and it's um I, and i think it's just it's just not the right balance like i think that's what what apple is always looking for and what i'm looking for apple to do is not to be completely open not to be completely closed to find the right balance for each product line and it's and the way we see when apple hasn't found the right balance is competitors competitors show us because they say if apple's dropping the ball here then we can do better and show you something and then you look at it after the fact and you go, boy apple had all the pieces they had all the technology and they just didn't they just didn't do it or they were their own worst enemy and I, i see that i see that the most for every product that apple does that has anything to do with sort of the open web and web services not that apple is against the open web or web services but it just seems to be a big blind spot for them that they don't realize the inherent power in that um and amazon echo i think is the is the most recent and most glaring example all right thanks much for our
2: three sponsors this week betterment ring and fresh books and we'll see you next week
0: now the show is over
2: they didn't even mean it was accidental, Accidental. oh it was accidental,
0: Accidental. John
2: didn't do any research, Marco and Casey wouldn't let him, cause it was accidental,
0: Accidental. oh it was accidental, Accidental. and you can find the show notes at atp.fm, and if you're into Twitter, you can follow them at
1: C-A-S-E-Y-L- ISS, so that's Casey List, M A R C O A R M E N T Marco Armin,
2: S I R A C, USA Syracuse, it's
1: accidental, it's accidental. So Tesla came out with a uh, new car, which means your Model S is effectively old and busted.
0: Yep, totally obsolete. No, it isn't, because his car is still better than the, the previewed car. In so many ways, is it's better.
1: Mm. So Tesla came out or debuted with the, the, the Model 3.
0: I like the emphasis on the master plan in the presentation. Like, oh, so many years ago, I had this master plan about what we're going to do. If you're making a master plan maybe that's the time to come up with like a naming scheme for your cars that's sensible like so many <laughs> other, like you only got three cars it could be model one two and three model a b and c you know four six eight like there are many possibilities that you, you could draw from what or name them after your favorite cities or whatever but i don't think anybody drawing up a master plan would be like roadster s x and three <laughs> like in your first outing that's a ball drop. Anyway, we don't care about the name.
1: Right. So for those who are not aware, this is their their cheaper sedan, um, their kind of mass market car. I did watch the presentation, which we'll have a link in the show notes. Uh, Elon had said, hey, the Roadster was to kind of get really, really, really rich people to spend money on something stupid. And then that would let us bootstrap the s which would let well-to-do people spend money on something that was less stupid, which in turn will let us do what we really want to do, which is the mass market Model 3. And they opened pre-orders for the Model 3 the day of the announcement, but but I think really, really early in the morning in whatever your local time was. And by the time of the announcement, they had over 100,000 pre-orders. Is that right? Uh,
2: 110, I think, yeah.
1: Something like that. And so the pre-orders, you have to put $1,000 down, but it is refundable. So that means 100,000 people had given Tesla $1,000 apiece. And I think they're up to like a quarter million. Something like that, yeah. But what's interesting is, you know, the first half of those people did it sight unseen. They knew nothing about the Model 3. Other than that, it was going to cost eh, around forty grand, And it should have eh, around the same range as the Model S, give or take. And then they did the the reveal, which it was clear that Apple employees spend a lot of time practicing their presentations, not only those in the keynote but those like (laughs) dub dub, because man, Elon Musk was not built for this sort of presentation, and that's okay. I mean,
2: but yeah, he could have used some rehearsal. It it seemed mm -hmm. like he didn't rehearse
1: it once, right? But the presentation, nevertheless, was impressive, and the Model Three, on the whole, I like it. I think aesthetically it's got some a little bit of problems on the outside. I think John takes more issue with the outside than I do. On the inside I have major issues. But a $40,000 plus car ish that has 200 miles plus ish of range that's pretty damn appealing and so, and supposedly they're going to ship the end of next year. Like this is sounding pretty good. I'm definitely interested.
0: I wouldn't call this mass market though. Like I understand the progression, like you go from a hundred thousand dollar impractical car to a uh, seventy or eighty thousand dollar very practical car to a thirty five thousand dollar still pretty practical car. Like, but you know, mass market is twenty five k. But it's it's not it's not they're doing everything they can. Like they, the batteries cost a lot of money, right? So they're building this big factory or whatever. They're driving the price down. Like eventually, you would expect if Tesla is still in business ten years from now, that they will have something in the honda civic category or whatever so they're working their way down I, I like the progression i like what they're doing as for the specifics of the product i was never really impressed with the roadster because it's just the you know the what do you call it uh lotus lotus elise yeah uh yeah but you, know, you got to do what you got to do i, I never I, I you know it's it was a sort of a minimum viable product type thing but as a car i was like all right fine whatever the S, I was in, generally impressed by the styling because I think the overall shape of the car is good. They didn't get the Agreed. details uh, v- very right. Um, but practically speaking, having uh, both uh, ridden in uh, Model S's and driven one, it's a good car. Like we've talked about this before. Like it's not it's not just a good electric car. It's a good car. I mean, and you'd imagine, well, it better be for the price you get, but they successfully made a good car, which is no small feat because not a lot of new car companies have come out and made a good car in, in our lifetimes, right? Um, and it seemed to have enough of the all the components together that even if you have uh complaints about certain small areas that it's not a big deal i totally expect the model 3 to do the same thing to be good in all the same ways that the s is good because you know they they can use the same foundation battery electric motor wheel, suspension steering everything it i see no reason to believe that those aspects of the three won't be just as good as the model s the only place you're saving any money is i imagine this car is smaller lighter has, has less batteries in it and so that's how you and they're made in the big gigafactory and economies of scale and blah, blah blah all the sorts of reasons why why does this car cost less than the model s mostly it's because they're getting better at building these cars and have the big factory building the batteries and there's fewer of them and it's smaller and all that other stuff but i can imagine for instance the interior of the model 3 Giving the Model S a reasonable run for its money, mostly because the Model S is not super luxurious to begin with, but like that's not where the money is in these cars. Like the money is all in that freaking battery, um, and just you know general raw materials and assembly. Like the electric motors aren't super expensive in, in the grand scheme of things. Certainly not compared to an internal combustion engine. Um, where I think the three falls down for me is, I feel like it should. It had the opportunity to learn from the s class and exceed it in all of the few areas where it falls down so is the interior going to be better than the s probably not design wise having that big screen in the middle doesn't strike me as a we learned a lot from the uh the model s uh, and so now we know how to make a better interior other than the fact that they learned that bigger screens are better um but my biggest complaint about the outside is what they've done with the front end treatment um Mm -hmm. and in, in some respects it's obvious what they're going for it's like hey, guys, we don't have to have a place where air goes into the front of our car because there's not a giant exploding internal combustion engine there that we have to blow air on, otherwise it overheats. We don't have to do that. So we should not be constrained by the styling of internal combustion engine cars. We have all this freedom. Let us now reimagine what the front end of a car can look like because why should we make it look like an internal combustion engine? That's a good spirit, and that's a good idea, and they should pursue that. But I feel like what they did... Was took the front of an internal combustion engine car and just erased the grill in Photoshop. Yeah, <laughs> there's a place for the grill. It is shaped like a car with a grill would be. Was Marcos does the same thing. The Model S has a place for the grill, and they just put a thing there that is a different color and it looks grill like, but there's no holes in it. It's you know because you don't need air to go into there, right? Um, that at least like visually from a distance, like oh that's a car with a grill, but it's not really a grill. This car clearly has no grill but it has shape-wise the place for the grill so i i would encourage them to pursue this avenue of styling further not like that they went too far that they didn't go far enough that they didn't sort of reimagine the front end of an electric vehicle that does not need to suck air through a big opening in the front they didn't do it enough and this is not i, I think this may not be the final design they have they have, could conceivably change it and add other little trim things to to mess it up so front end is a mess uh, as far as i'm concerned and then the overall shape i get why they made it this way they're touting like the interior space the headroom or whatever but its proportions are just not as nice as the s the s is a bigger car the bigger car allows it to have nicer proportions to look more aggressive to look less kind of hunchbacked and and dowdy and like like a droplet of water or whatever i suspect the three will look better in person than it does in pictures i really hope it will look better in person than it does in pictures but uh if I were Marco, I'd be feeling pretty good about my purchase because he still has the best-looking, largest, best-performing, uh, and prettiest Tesla, uh, and will for it seems like a long time now.
2: Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I don't have any buyer's remorse. You know, if for no other reason that this probably won't even be out until my lease is over. They're saying this will allegedly ship by the end of next year, so about what eighteen months from now. I would be surprised if it shipped on time, uh, and also. There are two hundred thousand pre-orders, and they currently can make something like fifty thousand cars a year. Obviously, not all those pre-orders will turn into real orders because it's, it's a refundable deposit. So a lot of those people are going to cancel. But you know, even even if like a quarter of them end up actually going through with it and accepting their cars and buying them, um, and even if there are no production delays, which is unlikely. Uh, it would still put it out in like three years, uh, roughly. So uh, before I could even get one, if I if I wanted one instead of my Model S, and it turns out I probably won't, because I like big sedans and I like the additional features of the Model S. I like the additional space. I like the additional luxury that that it will almost certainly continue to offer over the three. You know, cost wise, the the Model Three is is from from the info we have so far, and none of it is final. But from the, from the info we have so far it is substantially decontented or, you know, deoptioned from the base model model S and the cheapest you can get a model S right now. If I just, I just went and configured it 70 kilowatt hour battery and you, you turn off all wheel drive, uh, you get the cash price down to 70,000 and the cash price for this is allegedly going to be 35,000. And they've said this enough times and been really sure about enough times that they probably really can't go back on that PR wise, or at least not by much. So in order to cut the cash price of the car in half, it's going to have to come with less than what the S comes with at its base model. So they've already said it's going to be it's going to have things like um, it's not going to have supercharging um, built in by default. Like you'll have to pay extra for that if you want supercharging. There's a whole bunch of stuff that comes standard on, on, on every Model S that the, the, the Model Three probably will have to not come with just to hit that price point. I'm guessing that there's going to be a major difference between these two cars. Uh, And and part of the reason they had to make it so much smaller, you know, and and make it kind of these weird proportions um, is to help set it apart, I think, from the S. Because, you know, the S is kind of competing in in a different bracket here. But overall... I think from what they've shown so far that we can have quibbles about the dash, which I do. Um, but even you know, Elon said on Twitter like it's not even the final steering wheel, and the final steering wheel is going to be amazing, like a spaceship. So that kind of might take care of the weird issue with not having any display in front of the driver. But overall, I think this looks like a really potentially awesome car. But there's still a lot of question marks over whether they can actually deliver and we know whether, whether they'll deliver on time and what you'll actually get for the money. Because I, I suspect there's going to be a lot of things that we think you'd probably want that are going to be optional add-ons at
0: that price point. Real-time follow-up of the, the whole chat room and my memory says that actually they said that they will have supercharging on all models. but They
2: will have the capability to, but Elon said on Twitter to somebody recently that uh, it might be an additional fee to activate it, just like the, the old Model S was. So they will all uh. have the ability to. It's the same thing with, um, with the autopilot. They will all have the hardware to do it, but you won't necessarily have that enabled
0: unless you pay extra. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an in-app purchase. <laughs> In-car purchase. Yes, it really is, basically. I have some faith that the the only wild card I feel like in their ability to deliver on this in terms of schedules and pricing and everything is the battery factory because you know many things can go wrong there and it is a very large endeavor as they emphasize in the keynote and right sorry but everything else about this car they've already done on the Model S it doesn't have any weird (laughs) Falcon wing door BS it is essentially a smaller S everything in it they they have substantial experience doing in the s they know how to make cars with doors with door handles with mirrors with wheels suspension steering the, um, the motors if they can get the battery manufactured at the price they want working the way they want it and sticking in this car i totally believe they will hit their delivery dates because this is this is the kind of iteration i would expect i feel like the x is a weird boondoggle uh with those you know much larger size and the weird doors that it, like it's its own worst enemy this is the natural evolution down market uh of of the s and how did they make it cheaper i, st- I still feel like the way they make it cheaper is i f- i feel like it's going to have a smaller battery than the S because it's a smaller car and you can get away with uh equal or range or whatever the target was like 215 range i think 250s was was the rumor but i think they announced 215 yeah it's it's officially
2: specced at 215 and, and for reference that the 70 that the model s 70 kilowatt hour one specifies 230 and that's also a much bigger, heavier car. Like If you look at the, at the ratings compare, between the S and the X, the X ratings are lower per kilowatt hour because it takes more energy to move the larger, heavier car. So I'm guessing with the S having 230 miles out of a 70 kilowatt hour battery, I'm guessing they could put maybe a 50
0: or 55 into the Model 3 to hit that goal. Yeah, I, I don't. The, the other thing, the wild card I don't know about is how much is this going to weigh? Because you, you obviously it will weigh less than the S, but how much less? And the only way you get it to weigh a lot less is to use a much smaller battery because those things weigh a ton, or to use lighter materials. Are they replacing steel with aluminum? Is there any like magnesium or other weirdness going? You would imagine it can't get too exotic because it's a thirty-five thousand dollar car, but aluminum at the very least could be in the mix to try to. light in the car and obviously the base model i would just assume i don't remember if this was announced you know one motor in the base model right that not that the motors are again not as expensive as internal combustion engines but if you want to save money like that's the beauty of electric cars and the sort of the curse is there's not much to them there's electric motor like more or less directly attached to your wheels through a fixed gear ratio uh there's suspension there's steering, there's some pumps and compressors, there's a giant battery, and then there's a living room that you put <laughs> chairs in, right? And that's it. That's all there is in the car. There's some venting, I guess, for, for blowing air on you. Like, there are so many fewer components than the giant mess that is under the hood of internal combustion engine cars where just, like, the little villages on you know all around the engine in terms of keeping the engine cool and, and and keeping the the oil flowing through it and things going up and down and firing sparks and wires and it's just there's just so much extra stuff there that just isn't in this car which means that if you want to make the car for cheaper you can reduce your component costs or you can use less of something that's expensive but there's not much else there like I really don't feel you know that's why I say on the interior i guess they have to make it not as nice as the s just to like to to differentiate their lines but how much money are you really going to save by using different seat materials like you could save a couple hundred bucks here and there but the big ticket items are that stupid battery uh all the big steel parts that make up a car that you can't get rid of because you need suspension and wheels and a body and crash protection and stuff like that uh and i guess you know one motor is cheaper than two and then that's it then you know so uh, they're they're wise to go after their big cost center which is the battery is like how cheaply can we make them can we build like this giant factory and make pretty huge capital investments so that we can churn out at you know, the first year two hundred and fifty thousand of these batteries and put them into cars that we can sell for thirty five thousand dollars and at least break even or come close to a product I mean that's the the sort of meta thing that we're not really talking about here is that you know Tesla is regardless of what you may think as a car guy about their individual products they're actually doing the thing that so many other car companies have failed to do which is build electric cars build a business on them and make them good cars that people want to buy like that is just you know it's it's it kind of goes without saying we don't say we're like oh i have complaints about this particular car but like nobody else is doing that hell the biggest car companies in the world sometimes have difficulty making a car that people want to buy and they're making internal combustion engine cars. Sometimes they miss that target. Tesla is making electric cars that people want to buy, but hundreds of thousands of people will order sight unseen. So they're, you know, they're they're quite a phenomenon, regardless of the quality of their individual products. And this is like their third car or whatever. I'm willing to give them wide leeway fourth. to continue to forth to, to continue to figure out how to do cars. If they are still in business, which I really hope they are, you know, when my grandkids are driving, uh, they should be making pretty amazing cars for prices that hopefully anybody can afford. I think, first of all, it, being in business all you know all the way out, then
2: I think someone's going to buy them. Uh, Apple tried, right? I, I, I suspect. I, I suspect a car company's going to buy them, um, but. Well, maybe Apple is a car company. Good point. Would would Elon sell to a car company? I think they have to assassinate Elon first before, you know. But I, I'm thinking like, you know, worst case scenario, if they're like desperate and if they're going to go out of business, I think they're going to get bought rather than just shutting down. Um, but anyway, it's really quite something like to see the amount of enthusiasm and and energy and momentum behind this launch of this car that we know almost nothing about. And even before we knew anything about it, how, how many orders there were, I mean, it's this is really, we're on the cusp of something big here, and it's it's happening now. It's not like this is like, well, in the future cars will be really nice, and they'll be all electric. No. Today, cars are really nice and all electric. They're just really expensive right now. But they're here. They exist. They're selling you know, like they, I think they have something like 150,000 Model S's already out in the world. Um, so, like, they, there's all they they already sell these cars in decent volume, and yeah, there's that isn't as much volume as, like, you know the the entire world driving population or some other big brand cars, but that is like real volume that, that counts for something. you know like the, these things already exist today and they're only going to become more of them in the future. It, I don't think this is a temporary fad. I think this is like this is the like and once you drive one you realize like, oh my god, this is amazing. Why doesn't everybody have this? And of course the answer is because it's very expensive right now, but that seems to be a temporary problem.
0: I'm kind of confused about why some of them have L-shaped door handles, and at least one model, I presume, the base model doesn't. Like, is that like a a value-add feature? Well, if you buy the base model, you get straight door handle like Marco's crappy car. But if you buy the upscale (laughs) models, your door handle is slightly L-shaped. They probably just haven't decided which one it is yet. They like built one yeah. with the L's and built the other one with the without them. Oh, that was the nice thing about like, when they when they drove the cars out onto the stage. Just another one of those electric car moments when you realize they don't have to worry about filling the room with carbon monoxide as they <laughs> drive their cars out <laughs> onto the stage. Right, you exactly, know? And, and they also don't have to worry about the noise of the engines running. Just drive them right out; it's fine.
1: Yeah, that was pretty
0: wild. Really, I mean, really,
2: every time I drive this electric drivetrain, I'm just like, oh my god, this is so good. Like, why? Why, if if you can get one of these, if you can both swing the price and if it fits within your lifestyle with like you know range concerns and everything, if those are and those are two big ifs, but if it fits, why wouldn't you get it? Like once you drive it, that's honestly how you feel because it's so good.
1: If you have the means, I highly suggest try, uh, picking one up. Uh, I have to tell you though, the interior is so unbelievably bad to my eyes. It's got a dashboard-ish. It has a thing that looks like a dashboard, but all it has on the dashboard is a steering wheel and a touchscreen. And yes, I'm aware that all of this is in flight, but it looks like they didn't even try yet. Like, oh, God, I I don't like the floating display. It just looks fragile to my eyes, which I know is, is a Casey problem, but I don't like it. And I definitely do not like having any sort of gauges behind the steering wheel i just think that's a terrible idea
0: yeah a lot of other cars have tried that like and mm-hmm. there have been various theories i mean the economic one is like we'll make a world car that's symmetrical so we can do right and left hand mm-hmm. drive and just put the tash cluster in the middle i'm not sure how much i buy that as as, as a reason but it's something that you can see and think about the, one of the reasons they gave was like uh it's better to not have to change your focal distance as much from looking out the window where your focal distance is way off down the road to looking super close to you, but like the gauge cluster. So let's do like a two level dash or put it in the center. So it's, you know, difference between focusing at four feet versus two feet. I'm not sure I buy that because I don't know. I mean, I I can understand maybe the focal distance. You don't want to go from really close to really far, but how much farther away from you can you get that dashboard when it can still have it inside the car with you? It can't, you know, (laughs) make that big of a difference. Uh, And I just think consumers have voted with their feet to say every car that has tried to do this, and there have been many of them, the feedback has been universally negative not massively negative but enough negative that in subsequent models they change it every car that's done a two-level dash where you have one set of gauges close one set of far every car that's had a bunch of gauges in the middle um has eventually gone back to a more conventional arrangement or like that model has you know faded away and a new model is replaced it. i think maybe the toyota echo still has that arrangement as the, as the the lone stalwart but uh it baffles me why people want to do that in anything other than a concept car I and mean, the wild card is and of course we don't know is like fine do you have another solution maybe it's all heads up display and they have an amazing hud all right fine I'm, I'm you know all i'm just saying is like somewhere where the driver doesn't have to turn his head you need to be able to see things like how fast you're going and you know other information about the car is your turn signal on are your headlights on like without having to look elsewhere i feel like that should be Easily within the driver's vision without requiring a head. That's why we have gauge clusters. Um, so I really hope they have some solution to that that isn't uh, just look at the giant screen, the the giant 17 or 18 inch screen that we've stapled to the front of the uh, dashboard.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I just, I understand it's not the final design, but God, I do not like it at all. It just looks so boring. And it's just this, this vast emptiness there. Uh, it's, it's terrible um all in all i am very interested in the car i am not interested enough to have put down a pre-order and at this point there's no point in putting down a pre-order because declan will be out of college by the time they would deliver on that pre-order <laughs> like marco was saying but um but i'm really intrigued and i'm really pleased that they're, they're moving i don't know if down market is really the right way to describe it but certainly into a larger segment of the market and having driven underscores model s it kind of ruined me for life i mean it electric cars done right are phenomenally cool and and i'm really really anxious to see what this looks like when it's all said and done and when it's actually released well and what you know what what i also want to see is like how does everyone else respond to this yeah
2: what happens when this eats into a big part of sales of the bmw 3 series you know what ha- like what happened how does everyone else react to this
0: well they were they've all got electric car projects in the works like all of them i mean bmw's already got what is it, the i8 and, and the the i3 and porsche's got the their their electric car product like a lot of people have essentially model s competitors in various stages of development i think now it's just a race of who can get their cars to market soon enough because if tesla beats them to market it's going to be a real problem because as we've seen people are just going to buy whatever whatever good electric car is available they're going to buy it if porsche beats the, the model 3 out i mean the Porsches are kind of already lost as the model s has been out like there was something that was brought up in uh, a recent uh, article i was reading porsche's target for their electric vehicle was like oh it's going to have a 3.5 second zero to 60 the car that's already out now beats that the model <laughs> s already beats that and yep. this is a car you're going to come out with in three years that's not good planning right especially if your name is Porsche and you're going to sell it for Porsche level prices Tesla is a strong competitor and has a lead but I feel like every car company they're competing with even like the new Audi A8 was designed from the beginning to be this is a, a this structure this chassis this this you know underpinnings of this car accepts both an internal combustion engine and a full electric setup will they do a good job will they will they be as good as Tesla who knows but all everyone else has woken up now and said you know, we have to do this. And now it's just a race to see who uh, who gets there first. And I really do feel like the, the only edge the established car companies have is I feel like they're better at styling and they're better better at details and interior and just general kind of like the, the intangibles. Because the Teslas, for all of their, their good looks and everything, still, they haven't, I don't know, they haven't really... Defined a strong visual language. I know that's you know they kind of have because you can tell a Tesla looks like a Tesla, but they all kind of look more generic and lozenge-like than the fairly distinctive personalities of the other car lines. That you know, if you see an Audi, you know it's an Audi. If you see a a BMW, you know it's a BMW. You know, like there's there's family resemblances that change over the year, and I think Tesla is, is, to my eyes, having trouble establishing. Anything outside the sort of generic future looking car aesthetic
2: in the early days of the iPod, Apple had a really, really strong advantage over the rest of the market that not only were they often first to some of those form factors, they would negotiate rates with the flash memory and they would they would consume so much flash memory production in the world. That other manufacturers were not even able to match them on price or to even get enough flash memory or to get the best kind of flash memory because Apple was consuming it all and had locked up
0: all the supply. What if Tesla has that for lithium-ion battery production? Yeah, they're not buying. They're making themselves. What I fully expect to happen is, as part of Tesla's financial viability if they have any excess capacity they will sell batteries from their gigafactory to audi and bmw and mercedes or whatever because because why wouldn't you like i mean it's the same reason toyota sells the the what do you call it the prius uh, electric drivetrain to so many other car manufacturers they're not afraid of people competing with the prius because they feel like that's the whole package but they'll sell you their system at a at a you know at a profit and license it essentially to you to use in your cars are not that interested in it um one other thing I'm recalling is that you know, remember the the Phaeton, the, the Volkswagen Phaeton, however you pronounce it. It was like their attempt to make a high end VW, which is weird because a high end VW is called an Audi. But anyway, <laughs> it's a vaguely confused product. But anyway, the uh, the reason I'm recalling it is the, the the new Audi A8 with the option of electric drive train. My understanding is the new Phaeton is only electric. Hmm. Like so that's that's going to be the Volkswagen. What is the Volkswagen Model S competitor? Like everyone seems like they want to have one, and it's just. It's not so much that like there's the secret tech that Tesla has unlocked. It's that Tesla has proven that if you just do a really good job with modern lithium-ion battery technology and put some electric motors, people will buy that car. For like, like if you if you had told any car manufacturer, told Audi several years ago. Just sell a car starting at seventy grand. That's electric and get like if you gave them the specs of the Model S, they'd be like, "No one's going to buy that. That's ridiculous." Why don't we just sell them the cars we know how to make for exactly the same price? That's better in every possible way. Like that was their short sightedness. They didn't see that this. They didn't see the advantages of this product. It's not because they said we have no idea how to build that. Because in so many respects, building a pure electric car is so much more straightforward than hybrid, right? Which is all them were doing. Like oh, hybrid systems, and we'll go back and forth, and the motor will charge the battery, and this, and that, and the other thing. Um, like like the chevy volt and everything once it, tesla was so smart to commit early no just electric that's it like no hybrid no internal combustion engine it makes everything simpler we are completely focused on this and they prove that people will buy this product and now i feel like the other auto manufacturers have woken up to that market possibility and i have to think that there's enough in-house car design expertise that all they need is the battery and electric motor expertise that if if they can't develop in-house at the very least they can buy Um, So I think uh, all the established car makers are going to make good electric cars sooner than we think they are. Uh, It's just a question of whether Tesla can continue to outrun them.